Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome to another episode of Common Sense with Dr. Ben Carson. As part of a national tour of college campuses, in conjunction with Turning Point USA, Dr. Carson spoke with students at Auburn University about the dangers of the illiberal left and their progressive hold on university campuses. Dr. Carson charges the next generation of leaders to have the courage to change the course, stand up for what they believe in, and stay true to the principles that made America the greatest country on earth. Talk to your local Turning Point chapter if you want Dr. Carson to speak at your college campus. Check out Dr. Carson's Executive Branch for America program for future leaders. And on behalf of Dr. Carson and the entire American Cornerstone team, have a happy Thanksgiving. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Thank you so much. We're delighted to be here at the famed Auburn University wonderful thing coming here, a great reputation, and uh, a lot of very bright-looking young people, and some older people, too. That's good. <laughs> I like that. Now, tomorrow is Veterans Day. If there are any veterans here or people currently serving, would you stand up so we can acknowledge you, please? 
you know, only 1% of our population protects the other 99%. So we have a lot to be thankful for. And thank you for that warm introduction and uh, the welcoming people who've been here. And uh, if you're here tonight as a student, you are either getting extra credit, <laughs> which is unlikely because the professor is so liberal, <laughs> or, or you're actually very concerned about what's going on in our country and uh, are interested in what kinds of things you can potentially do to change what's going on. No sugarcoating tonight. There's a lot of bad stuff going on in our country. And our country is a very unique place. Our founders were amazing, amazing men. Very, very smart people. And they studied every governmental system that ever existed in the history of the world. And they extracted the good things. They were eclectics excluded the bad things. And they noted that all governments move in the same direction. No matter how lofty their goals are to start with, they grow, they infiltrate, and they dominate. That's what they do. Doesn't mean that they're necessarily bad, it means that they're governments. And that's why they work so hard to give us a constitution that would keep that from happening to our country so that we could remain free, independent. A lot of people thought we were nuts. You can't run a country on the will of the people. You have to have a monarch. You have to have an overriding, guiding presence. But it has worked for a long time, you know. It was not an easy process. At the last Constitutional Convention, it was ruckus. It looked like the whole thing was gonna fall apart. And then the elder statesman, 81-year-old Benjamin Franklin, got up and he said, gentlemen, stop. He said, let's get down on our knees and let's seek wisdom from God. And they knelt down and they prayed. And they got up and they put together the Constitution of the United States. And when Franklin came out of that building, he was asked, sir, what do we have? A monarchy or republics? And he said, a republic, if you can keep it. If you can keep it. We've kept it for over 240 years, and we're as close to losing it right now as we have ever been. And that's why it's so important for people to understand what's going on. This is a very dark period in American history. Now, a lot of your academics will tell you it's because of all the microaggressions that you're encountering on a daily basis in school, or because there's a lack of safe spaces on campus. What a bunch of crap. <laughs> it's, uh, It's really the, the liberalism, the progressivism that has kind of infected our society, not just in classrooms and campuses, 
but in corporate boardrooms, in government offices, governor's offices, the White House, Congress. It's everywhere and it's spread very, very rapidly. And it's caused the cost of living to go up immeasurably to the point that people are not comfortable anymore. A large portion of the population lives from paycheck to paycheck. It's created a situation where our cities are no longer safe. And people have to worry nighttime, should we go into to have dinner? Or is it too dangerous? Are we gonna be carjacked? Are we gonna be robbed? Are we gonna be killed? These are things that people used not to worry about. And what about our national security? You know, we've had three years of open borders. And you've seen what Hamas is capable of. Why wouldn't they and other terrorist groups be coming to that southern border? I mean, if they're not coming through there and planning something here, they are guilty of terrorist malpractice. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm sure they are planning something pretty substantial. And uh, right now, it's the grace of God that is saving us. And America has become a place where, instead of hard work and dedication, we're talking about selfishness and equity. You know, where did that word come from, equity? And why did it somehow replace equality? because that's what really made America great. The fact that we provided people with the opportunities to do what they wanted to do. And what has happened now, no one trusts the government and they walk. No one trusts the media. It used to be that the people who were least trusted were used car shows. Now it's the media and it is a shame because the press is the only business that's protected by a constitution. And why is that? Because they were supposed to provide unbiased information to the people so that the people could express their will because the country was to be run on the will of the people. But when the press puts their thumb on the scale, what happens? You see what's going on. And I hope some of you may be journalism majors. And maybe you can be the fresh wave of people who bring integrity back to the profession. Somebody has to lead the way, and it will require significant courage. But, you know, it's hard to refer to what's going on as ideology. It's, as a doctor, I kind of look at it as a disease. And it needs a treatment, and God willing, a cure. And that cure is sitting right here in this room. It's each one of you. Because each one of you has a sphere of influence. Sometimes you tend to think, Oh, it's just me and a whole bad sea of people. But you influence a lot of people. 
by the way you behaved, by the way you talked, by the courage and conviction that you show, by not being afraid to stand up for what you believe in. The very fact that you're here in this auditorium tonight shows some degree of courage. Now, fear can really impact one's learning. I remember when I was a kid, I was definitely afraid of dogs. If I was on my way to school, and I'd almost be there, and there would be a dog, I would have to turn around and go around the block and approach it from another direction. I was late to school a lot of times because of dogs. And then a man told me, when I was eight years old, he said, if you're not afraid of a dog, and if you just ignore them, they won't bother you. I said, are you sure about this? <laughs> he said, absolutely, 100%. So I, think, I said, I think I'm going to try this on. Because there was a dog down at the end of the block. Nobody liked to go down there because Rusty was just a mean dog. I said, I'm going to go down there. And I went walking down proudly. And then Rusty saw me. And he started licking his chops. <laughs> he says, home delivery. <laughs> and he came running after me, barking and snarling, and ran right up to me. And I said, this was a mistake. <laughs> but he just sniffed my leg. They walked back to the porch and laid down. And you know, that was the last time Rusty bothered me. Other people, he would still do that too, but me. He just, he just, it wouldn't bother me at all because he knew I wasn't afraid of him. And I think there's a, a lesson, there's a lesson to be learned there. But where do we get courage from? You know, when I was a neurosurgery resident, I remember one evening I was on call, and it was the time of a national neurosurgical meeting, so all the attendings were at the meeting except for the one that got left behind to deal with dire emergencies. And a young man was brought into the emergency room who'd been severely beaten with a baseball bat. He was unconscious. His brain was swelling. The CAT scans showed multiple hemorrhages. He was going to die. There is a dramatic operation that one can do in a situation like that in which you take out part of the frontal lobe and part of the temporal lobe to create space in the brain. I'd seen that operation before. I'd never done it before. But it didn't matter because I was a resident. I couldn't do it anyway. I had to call the attending. Couldn't reach him. The nurses called for the attending. Couldn't reach him. The paging operator called from the attendant could reach him. The young man is dying. I had a real dilemma there. Should I risk my career, do something that was against the rules, take him to the operating room as a resident by myself, perform an operation that I had never done before, or should I do the same thing and just put them in the ICU, heavy steroids, intubation, and let nature take its course. But that obviously would have been the same thing.
but it didn't feel right. And I prayed, said God would give me the right direction. And as soon as I finished that prayer, I knew exactly what I had to do. I felt very calm. I took him to the operating room. Everything came back to me, he performed the operation. It was successful. Today, that young man is a psychologist for children, doing very well, but I didn't get into any trouble. In fact, I was praised for doing the right thing. Now, I've no doubt that had things not turned out, well, it would have been different. <laughs> but you know what? The Lord never asks you to do anything and then abandons you. It just, just doesn't happen. So you don't have to worry about that. But I'm well aware of the fact that today it can be difficult being a conservative on campus. You're outnumbered. You're labeled racist and bigot, homophobe. You're silenced. And you have to keep all your beliefs close to the chest. You've been conditioned to live with this disease of liberalism and progressivism and all the things that it's causing in our society. And I hate the fact that that's there, but it means that we have to cure it. And in medicine, you have to know the disease. You have to know the history of the disease, where it came from, how it reacts to various and sundry things. And that's what we have to do now. Knowledge is so vitally important if we're gonna fight what's going on in our society today. You've probably seen some of those man on the street interviews where they ask people just simple things like who fought in the Civil War? I mean, they don't even know what the Civil War was. You ask them what countries border on the United States? They're like, China? <laughs> they have no idea. It must hurt to be that ignorant. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, what happens when you have a society like that? They become easy to lead. When you dumb down the society, you know, you look at societies that have gone communist or socialist, and the orchestrated endeavor to dumb down the population first. I wonder if that's what's happening in our society. You know, about six months ago, there was reports of the Baltimore Project, in which they followed 23 public schools, thousands of students, elementary, middle, and high school, looking at their ability to perform math at grade level. Guess how many students performed at grade level out of over 2,000? Zero. Not a single one. And that's not unique to Baltimore. We find that going on all over. Instead of teaching people what they need to know to be able to function in our society, you know, they're teaching you, you know, about 
various pronouns and things that you should be using or not using. Can you imagine what it's like to be a little kid today and to have all of these things being thrown at you and not being taught the things that you need to know in order to be successful? Well, you know, I had a dream as a youngster. My all-American dream was to be a doctor. I loved medicine. I don't know what it was about it, but it just grabbed me as a youngster. And anything that came on television, you guys are too young to remember that, but, you know, Dr. Kildare, Dr. Casey, he was a neurosurgeon. I mean, I just love that stuff. I even like going to the doctor's office, which makes me kind of strange. I would gladly have a shot just so I could smell the alcohol swamp. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe not a COVID shot. <laughs> don't take that to me that I'm an anti-vaxxer because I am not an anti-vaxxer. But I am a person who likes to look at the facts who likes to exercise common sense. And you know, particularly for children, we know that the chances of a child who's infected with COVID dying or having a severe complication is 0.025%. That's approaching zero. We have no idea what the long-term impact of spike proteins are over the course of years. So why would you subject someone to that kind of risk? And here's the encouraging thing. Although it was recommended, only 13% of American parents fell for it, which means that our people are smarter than anybody gives them credit for. <laughs> But there was one problem with my American dream of becoming a doctor. You have to go to medical school. And you have to be smart, you have to get good grades. And I was a terrible student. And I thought I was stupid, all my classmates agreed. My teammates thought I was stupid. The only person who didn't think I was stupid was my mother. She was an amazing individual. Came from a huge rural family shifted from home to home, less than a third grade education, married at age 13, trying to escape that environment. They moved to Detroit. My father was a factory worker and a part-time preacher. Some years later, she discovered he was also a bigamist and another family. I told that story at a university of Utah graduation and nobody thought it was that strange. <laughs> but uh, she thought it was pretty strange, obviously. And uh, that resulted in a divorce. And of course, there she was trying to raise us by ourselves. But the interesting thing about my mother is she was very observant. And um, she was always trying to figure out why things worked the way they did. 
She couldn't figure out why we were doing so poorly at school, so she prayed for wisdom. And I must say, I hated being stupid, but I didn't think there was anything I could do about it. And I actually admire the smart kid. I would say, couldn't they know so much? There was this one kid, his name was Steve. He was the smartest kid in the class, and he wanted to make sure you knew it. He would always come up to you after a test and hold his A in your face and say, let me see yours, let me see yours. You wanted to let him see it, all right. <laughs> <laughs> but you'd get in trouble. But, you know, my mother was observing in the houses that she cleaned, because that's what she did. She was a domestic. She would go from house to house to house, leaving at five in the morning, getting back at midnight, because she didn't want to be on welfare. And, um, you know, she noticed that there were a lot of books in the tunnels and that people didn't watch a lot of TV. So she came home one day and imposed that on me and my brother. Said, you guys can only watch two or three TV programs, and with all that spare time, you have to read two books apiece from the Detroit Public Libraries every week and submit written book reports, which she couldn't read, but we didn't know that. <laughs> so she put little highlights and underlines and stuff. We were very unhappy. In today's world, we would have called social services. <laughs> but we just had to read the books. But interestingly enough, I didn't like it at first. But after a while, I began to really enjoy it. Because we were desperately poor. And between the covers of those books, I could go anywhere. I could be anybody. I could do anything. I could escape poverty. It opened up a whole new world for me. And as I read about scientists and engineers and surgeons and explorers and entrepreneurs, I began to understand something very important. And that was that the person who has the most to do with what happens to you in life is you. It's not somebody else. It's not some circumstance. I just chucked all that stuff and the garbage started thinking about what I could do, not what I couldn't do. What a difference it made. Within the space of a year and a half, I went from the bottom of the class to the top of the class. And I remember going up to Steve after the test. <laughs> I said, Steve, how'd you do on the test? He poked out his chest like that. He said, oh, I got a 91. I said, well, gee, that's too bad. I got a 100. <laughs> But I said, next time you need help, let me know. <laughs> yeah, I was probably a little obnoxious. But it sure felt good to say that to the turkey, you know. <laughs> we have to take a brief break. We'll be right back in one minute. Stay with us. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back. You know, things just continued to, to blossom for me academically. And then it was time to go to college. And I only had enough money to apply to one college. So I said, I'm going to apply to the college that wins the grand championship of GE College Bowl. Came on every Sunday, two colleges against each other, four contestants in each one. And they asked questions about science and math and history and geography. I was really good in all that stuff. So I said, I'm going to be a contestant on college ball, but I'm going to apply to the college that wins the grand championship. There was one big problem, though. In addition to science and math and history and geography, they asked questions about classical music and classical art. Now, at Southwestern High School in inner city Detroit, if you said something about Van Gogh, they would have said, put gas in and the van will go. And they would have had no idea what you were talking about. So I just made an executive decision to learn all that stuff on my own. I would get on the bus and go downtown to the Detroit Institute of Artists day after day, week after week, month after month roam to those galleries until I knew every painting, who painted it when they died, what period it represented, always listening to my portable radio, Bach, Telemann, Mozart. Kids, kids in Detroit thought I was nuts. A black kid in Motown listening to Mozart? And I tried to convince them that the Mo and Motown was from Mozart, but nobody, nobody was buying it. But, you know, the college bowl championship that year was between Harvard and Yale. And Yale demolished Harvard, so I didn't want to go to a school with a bunch of dummies. <laughs> so I applied to Yale. Unfortunately, they accepted me with a scholarship, and I was ready to get on college bowl. But the year I went there was the year college bowl went off the air. Instead of, right now it's just in a city. But, <laughs> but there was a good thing that happened, because that's where I met my wife, Candy. <laughs> and 48 years later, we're still married. Yeah, <laughs> But interestingly enough, there's another thing I want to convey to you students. You know, when I went to medical school, I said, finally, the last hurdle, I'm in medical school. I did terribly on the first set of comprehensive exams. So poorly, in fact, that I was sent to see my consulate, who looked at my record, and he said, you seem like a very intelligent young man. 
I bet there are a lot of things you could do outside of medicine. <laughs> he tried to convince me to drop out of medical school. He said, you're not cut out to be a doctor. You're just gonna torment yourself and everybody else. Why don't you just drop out now? We'll help you get into another discipline. I was devastated. And I went back to my apartment and I just prayed. And I said, Lord, I always thought you wanted me to be a doctor. It's the only thing I wanted to do since I was eight years old. And then I started thinking, I said, what kind of courses have you always struggled in? What kind of courses have you done well in? And I realized I struggled in courses where I listened to boring lectures. And I did well in courses where I did a lot of reading. So I was listening to six hours worth of boring lectures every day. So I made the executive decision to skip the boring lectures and to spend that time reading. And the rest of medical school was a snap accident. And some years later, when I was back in my medical school as the commencement speaker, I was looking for that counselor because I was going to tell him he wouldn't cut out to be a counselor. <laughs> there are some people who are just negative, negative, negative. They can always find a reason that something doesn't work. What if they invested some of that energy into figuring out how things could work? And isn't that what we need to be doing? You know, we look at all the problems that are facing us as a society today, and the things that are tearing us apart, causing us to get into our respective coins and fight with each other. And it's not necessary. You know, you just pick a random problem. Energy, for instance. You have a camp that says, we gotta go total green renewable energy. And they enact policies that are asinine only because we're not ready for them yet. And then they try to get everybody to conform to that. And then you have on the other side a group of people say, well, we have plenty of fossil fuels and we've learned how to extract them very cleanly. So why don't we just forget about the green energy? But of course, the answer lies somewhere in between. There's no reason you can't pursue both. There's no reason that we can't use the fossil fuels that we have so that we're not crucifying those people in our society who are poor and work toward green energy. Use what you have to get what you want. And that's why it's so important that young people like yourselves develop that mindset. Because when you live in a diverse society, my way or the highway doesn't work. All that does is increases the animosity. And what's happening in our society today? People are driving wedges between us on the basis of race, age, income, gender, religion, political affiliation, you name it, driving wedges, dividing and conquering. And that's not working for us as a society that's destroying us very, very rapidly. And you know, Candy and I were in Europe last month and it was a little disheartening listening to the Europeans. 
because they were saying, your leadership is a laughing stock. And why are they worried about that? Because we provide stability for the whole world and safety for the whole world. And if we continue down a path of self-destruction, what happens to everybody else? So important to think about it. And it's everywhere throughout our society right now. And we have got to find a way to increase the courage. And that's why American Cornerstone was developed. You know, when my term was coming to an end as HUD secretary, I was thinking, now I can really retire. Because I had failed retirement the first time, ended up in the political sphere. And I said, this time I'm going to get it right. But you know, looking at how rapidly things were going in the wrong direction, I couldn't do it. So some very able people from ACI, from HUD, uh, joined me, and we formed the American Cornerstone Institute. And basically looking at those cornerstone principles that made us into a great country, like our faith. Our faith, our Judeo-Christian values teach us to love your neighbor. Not to cancel your neighbor, not to hate your neighbor if you disagree with them. You know, it's okay to disagree with people. We've all had this different experiences. And it makes us have different opinions. And it's okay. I always say if two people agree about everything, one of them isn't necessary. And it's also important, particularly for you young people, to understand about marriage. Have you ever noticed when people are engaged about to be married, they can't keep their hands off of each other. They're always talking to each other. If they're not together, they're calling each other. By the time they're ready to get divorced, they don't talk to each other. Their spouse has become a double incarnate. We need to learn how to talk to each other. Keep the lines of communication open. Talk to people, even if they're in the different political spectrum. It will make a huge difference. And then there's the cornerstone of liberty, freedom. The very thing that made America different. People could lead the lives that they wanted to lead. And some people try to denigrate our country and say what a horrible place it is, that it's systemically racist, that it's unfair to people. If it was so bad, why is everybody trying to get in here? I don't think that that's a legitimate argument. And when they got here, wouldn't they call on their friends and relatives and say, don't come here, it's a local plane. That's not what we're saying. And then there's a cornerstone of community. You had so many people who came to this country from different places. In many cases, they didn't speak the same language, but they understood the concept of the common good. What works for everybody? And if it was harvest time and Mr. Johnson fell onto the apple tree and broke his leg, everybody else picked his crops. No questions asked. That sense of community gave us enormous strength. And then life, from the womb to the tomb, honoring and respecting life. 
And what has happened to us as we become less life-respecting individuals? It's coarsened our relationships with each other. We need to be thinking about that. And those of us who are pro-life, we need to understand that the real key is not coercion, it's convincing. But teaching people what's in that mother's womb is not a meaningless bunch of cells. And I'm very pleased to see that younger people are understanding that more because they've grown up in an era where you can actually see what's in that womb. It's much more difficult when you can see what's in that womb than it is before when you just imagine whatever you wanted to imagine. But we just need to keep making forward progress and teaching people and convincing people and I think we will have a much better outcome. We need to also understand that there is a real agenda afoot to fundamentally change this nation. It's not some mess. All you have to do is look at the congressional record from January to 10th, 1963, in which Representative Herlong from Florida read in the 45 goals of communists in America. And you'll see that all the stuff that's going on right now is not of recent origin. It's been going on for decades. Gaining control of the public schools so you can indoctrinate the kids, gaining control of the media so you could spoon feed the people what you wanted them to hear and exclude what you didn't want them to hear, driving wedges between parents and children, destroying the moral base of the country. It goes on and on, and it's been going on for a long time, and, and that's why we created American Cornerstone and all of its components, including Little Patriots, which teaches our children K through five why we believe what we believe and why we became great so quickly. And all of our history, the good, the bad, and the ugly, but the fact of the matter is it's a heck of a lot more good than there is bad and ugly. You've got people like 1619 and CRT just seizing on the bad and the ugly and trying to paint that as who we are. And America is so much more than that. And we need to be vocal about that. And if there's anything unique about America and slavery, it is not that we have slavery. Virtually every civilization has to deal with slavery. It is that we had so many people who were vehemently opposed to it that we fought a bloody civil war and lost a large portion of our population to rid ourselves of that evil institution. And that's what we need to teach our children. We need to teach them the right things and I think that will make a big difference. But, you know, I've seen firsthand at HUD the trickery and the traps of the federal bureaucracy and the things that happen to keep us from being able to get logical things done. And I'm not saying conservative thing, I'm saying logical things because they're essentially the same thing. And, uh, you know, when we stop and just consider the various policies and are they good for the people? But are they good for the nation? 
and are they good for our future? That's what it's all about. The executive branch for America was there purposely because so many people go into government as an elected official or as a staffer, and they're like deer caught in the headline. They have no idea what's going on. The complicated arrangements, the traps, all the things that are there to keep you from being able to get things accomplished. There are four million executive branch employees. When a new president comes in, he gets to change 3,000 of them. It's not very many. But that's, re that's one of the reasons that we need people to be thinking about going in as career individuals and making a difference. Hit the ground running. And we have um, interviews with people who've headed up places like the OMB, Domestic Policy Council, the various cabinet secretaries, Sarah Huckabee Sanders conducts both of these, does very well. And we have several members of our team uh, here. I hope you've met some of them because you can ask any of them about any of the things going on with the programs and they'll get you acclimated. Brad Bishop, a former uh, staff of the White House Communications. Where's Brad? In the back. Oh, there he is over there. Remember that face? And then there's uh, Drew McCall, former Deputy Chief of Staff at Irish Drew, right next to Brad. And Herb Dennis is uh, over here on this side. He was the former Chief Financial Officer at HUD. He's the man who's responsible for the fact that you never, after about a year and a half, heard anything about bad things at HUD. You said, I hear about all the fiscal malfeasance. Never anymore after that. Then there's Todd Thurman, uh, White House liaison for HUD, who is somewhere. And there's Belsis Romero, Associate Director, Office of uh, Public Liaison at the White House back there. And there's Andrew Hughes, my former Chief of Staff at HUD. He was only 33 years old, was the youngest chief, and they said, you can't do it that young. He did a better job than any Chief of Staff in Washington, D.C., but you can ask any of them about their experiences and uh, how to get involved. But the goal of uh, executive branch is to overcome all those obstacles and the barriers uh, to getting conservative people in government on a permanent basis who can actually make changes and it's all part of the, the larger American Cornerstone Institute. And I would be very honored if all of you would sign up to take the course. It's free of charge. Free of charge, listen to that. Not because it isn't expensive to create a program like that, but because we've gotten extremely patriotic and generous Americans to underwrite the program. Same thing for the Little Patriots program. And um, you can go to EBA, which stands for Executive Branch for America, dot AmericanCornerstone.org, or you can scan the QR code. I think you have a little pamphlet there. And text 
ABA to the number 83042. That's 83042. It'll take you right to the program and uh, you'll be able to opt into our messaging and programming updates. But as I close, I want you to, to recognize that not everything always works the way we want it to work. And you can't give up. You have to be courageous and you have to be committed. I'm reminded of a time when I was called urgently to South Africa because there were seven conjoined twins and they were having a lot of medical problems and they felt they had to be urgently separated. And during the operation, we discovered that the heart of one of the twins was not functioning because we were going to put them on hypothermic arrest like we had the German twins. And uh, so obviously that twin was not viable. The reason they were deteriorating was because one could not pump for both of them as they were growing. And so we got them separated. The one that had a good heart was doing well, so we were pleased about that. The other one obviously died. But then a couple of days later, the other one died. And it turns out on autopsy that that one didn't have any kidneys. The other one had the kidneys. So they were symbiotic. I was so depressed with him. I was thinking, didn't need someone like me to come all the way over here and fail anybody could have failed. I was thinking more about me and how I felt. But you know, a couple of years later, there were another set of twins joined at the top of the head facing an opposite direction, something we call type two vertical craniopagus. And um, there had been 13 attempts to separate twins like that before, none of which had been successful. And uh, so we knew this was gonna be uh, very involved. And make a long story short, we were into that operation and we got to a point where the blood vessels were so complex, they were crisping, crossing. It looked like a bowl of spaghetti and you had to try to figure out what went to who. And we stopped the operation. And I said, uh, why don't we just cover everything up and uh, leave them conjoined with a little traction and maybe things will separate out in a few months we can come back and complete the operation. And a doctor from Zambia in South Africa said, that's a great idea. And I know it would work at Johns Hopkins, but we can't keep partially separated twins alive. They'll die. Now I really faked the weight of the world on my shoulders. I didn't have all my fancy equipment that I had at Hopkins. I had my scalpel, my loops, and a prayer on my lips. I said, Lord, it's up to you. And I went in there and started operating. And I honestly can say, I cannot remember what I did over the last several hours. But when I made the final cut that separated the twins over the stereo system came the hallelujah chorus. And everybody had goosebumps. And when we finished the operation after 28 hours, one of the twins popped his eyes open and reached for the endotracheal tube. The other one did the same thing. By the time we got to the ICU, within two days, they were exhumated. Within three days, they were eating. Within two weeks, they were crawling. And today, they're perfectly normal adult males doing well. And that's the first time.
twins for the first time, complexly joined craniopagus twins, were separated with non-neurological depth. But, you know, it was the persistence. And if the first failure had not occurred, which got all the equipment there and put the teams together, the second operation would not have been possible. So God works in mysterious ways, and we just have to trust that he's leading us in the right direction. And we have to take advantage of what has been given us in this country, and we can't allow it to be thrown away. And like I said, Veterans Day is tomorrow. I want you to think back to World War II. Think about all the women who went into the factories and built more airplanes, tanks, and mortars than anybody could imagine. And some of them went into the munitions factories and they were blown to smithereens. Did they stop? No, they kept going. And the 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 year old men, young men, many of them lied about their age so they could fight for our country. There they were indeed they approaching the day that's shores of Normandy being fired upon, heavy machine gun fire, a hundred dead bodies in the sand, a thousand dead bodies in the sand. Were the others afraid? Did they turn back? Yes, they were afraid. No, they did not turn back. They stepped over the dead bodies and they overwhelmed the Axis forces knowing in many cases that they would never see their loved ones or their homeland again. Why did they do it? Obviously not for themselves. They did it for you. They did it for me so that we could live in peace and freedom. That's what it means when you say the land of the free, which you cannot have unless you're also the home of the brave. Thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts.
that's it for this week. Don't forget to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can go back and listen to all the older podcasts by going to AmericanCornerstone.org. And make sure you tell others about it. Rate us, review us, because you're a part of bringing common sense back. Making sure that common sense is common once again. And don't forget the cornerstones. Faith, liberty, community, and life. See you next week.